Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, February 22nd. So is there enough legal news in the headlines right now? I mean, it's not just Trump. You know how we have three branches of government, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches. You know how that works? Well, the president and the governors, the executives, are doing some stuff. Biden just canceled more student debt yesterday, right from the White House, for example. Congress, absolutely gridlocked and doing almost nothing, right? But the courts, the judicial branch of government, they are rocking with action right now with so much at stake in the hands of judges, lawyers, prosecutors, and juries. Here's just a quick list of a few that are front and center right now. The Supreme Court could decide any day or even any minute we are actually watching the ticker on whether Donald Trump has immunity from prosecution for things he did as president, even if they were actual crimes. While Trump compares himself to Alexei Navalny, a special counsel in the Biden administration, has recently indicted Biden's son, and another special counsel investigating the president himself has publicly put his thumb on the scale of public opinion about the president's mental acuity. Remember that? No different from the Putin regime says Trump. Uh, Maybe not. Meanwhile, an informant in the impeachment inquiry against Biden has now been charged with making up evidence helped along by guess who? Russia. Yet another case for the court system. New York's attorney general wants to seize Trump properties if needed to pay his $355 million business fraud judgment. The Alabama Supreme Court has just declared that frozen embryos are children under the law. And a prosecutor in Arizona says she won't extradite a suspected murderer wanted in New York because she calls Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg soft on crime. Can she really do that? So those are a few that are in the news right now. I could go on if I wanted to, but let's discuss a few of these anyway with us now with his take. Ellie Mastal, Justice Correspondent for The Nation magazine and host of their legal podcast, Contempt of Court. He is also an Alfred Nobler Fellow at the Type Media Center, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Ellie, always great to have you on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much, Brian. You know, it's almost like people should pay attention to the courts and prosecutors and demand that their political candidates tell them what kinds of prosecutors and what kinds of judges they're going to appoint because they control an entire branch of government. It is almost like that, yes. So the Trump immunity case, I keep looking because I expect this ruling any day, maybe any minute, but maybe not. Do you think the Supreme Court Court feels an urgency on this one because of how the January 6th case intersects with the election calendar? I... Do, I, do they feel urgency? I don't know. I can't um, I can't read those guys um, in terms of what their feelings are um, about whether about the state of American democracy. 
I do think they will rule soon, right? And people need to understand that there are three ways this can go, right? They can rule with four votes to take the case. They shouldn't because the argument that Trump is absolutely immune um, for any crime he committed while he was in office is a ridiculous and stupid argument. So they shouldn't take the case. The Supreme Court doesn't take ridiculous and stupid arguments all the time. But step one, four votes they need to take the case. But there's a second option, five votes they need to grant a stay on the criminal trial that Judge Tanya Chunkin is trying to get started in DC, right? You need mm -hmm. five votes to grant a stay. So there is a version of events where the Supreme Court could take the case, but not grant the stay and thus not do the one thing Trump wants them to do, which is to delay his reckoning. Because remember, with his bad arguments, the point of those arguments is not to win. The point of those arguments is not to actually be, de be declared absolutely immune from everything, because again, that's stupid, that's not gonna happen. The point of these arguments is to delay the trial, to mm. delay the reckoning until at least you get to the Republican National Convention where Trump will be crowned as their nominee, which will make it harder to prosecute him, or perhaps even delay it past the election in November. That is the goal. And if five Supreme Court justices vote to grant him a stay, he will have gotten another step closer to accomplishing that goal. So that's really what I'm, I'm looking for. I'm not even so much looking, I mean, obviously I care whether or not they take the case because the third option is that they could just not take the case like adults. But beyond <laughs> right. whether or not that binary of whether or not they take the case, I'm really looking to see if they have five votes to grant the stay. Um, on that stay question, do you think the justices are asking themselves which is the greater good in the public interest? Is it to make sure that a trial happens before they vote for somebody for president uh, who might be charged criminally for things like that? Or versus not interfering with a presidential election and keeping the criminal case out of it? Oh, I wish that's what they were thinking. I, what, what I think they're trying to weigh up is not what's better for the country, but what's better for the Republican Party, right? So they're, 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 they are asking a version of that question, Brian, but they're asking that version in terms of what helps Republicans retain power. Is it better for Republicans to retain power or to, to gain power in the White House if they allow a trial for Trump uh, to happen before the Republicans crown him? Or is it better for Republicans to stay out of it let them crown their king and let Trump take his, you know, shoot his shot. Right. I well, I will say that's the most cynical possible take on the Republican appointed justices on the Supreme Court, that it's purely partisan. They're trying to help their party. I mean, a lot of other analysts would say they certainly have their their leanings, um, you know, philosophically, how they approach the Constitution that seems to line up with the issues that. Republicans care about and the positions on the issues that those Republicans care about. But what you're saying is is a step or two more cynical, that they actually, from the bench, are trying to figure out how to help their party. They would vociferously deny that, I'm sure. I'm sure they would deny it, and I 
believe they would be lying. I think those six people, those six conservatives, are some of the worst people available. And when you read their decisions, when you look at their history, John Roberts, for instance, who is often, you know, in the media portrayed as some kind of moderate, that's not John Roberts. John Roberts has done everything in his career possible to bend the law towards Republican interests and Republican political victory as far as possible without breaking it. The fact that John Roberts cares about breaking it is the difference between John Roberts and Sam Alito, is the difference between John Roberts and Clarence Thomas. But all of those people have spent their entire careers trying to engineer Republican victories in politics. We've seen that in their gerrymandering decisions. We've seen that in their voting rights decisions. And I believe we're seeing that now in their Trump decisions. Brian, again, there's no objective reason for them to take this case. All right, there, there's, the, the argument is so wackadoodle cuckoo. The D.C. Circuit took such pains to explain exactly how cuckoo their argument is. At times, quoting, they, they cited a number of judges in the D.C. Circuit opinion, which was, by the way, unanimous, two Obama judges, um, one, uh, sorry, two Biden judges, one uh, George H.W. Bush judge, three judges unanimous to reject Trump's immunity argument at the D.C. Circuit level. That panel cited Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas against the proposition that um, a president is you know, immune from any uh, criminal trial, right? So, so it, it, this is not a close case. Yeah, right. If they yeah. take it, they are only taking it to help Trump's political desire to delay his trial. And I don't see how there's any, I think, fair read of what they are or are not doing that doesn't include the obviousness of the fact that this case is a is a lemon, this case is a dog that should never be heard by the Supreme Court in the first place. Right, and so many legal analysts, even conservative ones, are saying that. And here's how wackadoodle, to use your word, uh, one of the claims is, we played the clip yesterday of Trump's lawyer telling the appeals court that Trump could have a political rival assassinated and only be prosecuted for it if he's impeached and removed from office by Congress first. And so can even Justices Thomas and Alito find that a plausible way to read the Constitution? Yeah, so if the Supreme Court takes the case, right, if they take the case and they get to the merits, which is the legal term of art for they actually decide on the issue presented, right, I think there's an excellent chance of this that Trump loses 9-0 because that's how off the wall the argument is. If he doesn't lose 9-0, he's going to lose 7-2, right? If he, he if he picks up Thomas, because Thomas and his wife seem to support the coup in the first place, if he picks up Alito, because Alito seems to hate everything that's good and green on this earth, that'll be it. There, I, I don't even see Kavanaugh. I certainly don't see Gorsuch, and I certainly don't see B Barrett or Roberts going for this crazy argument, right? So if they ever get to the merits, He's going to lose, and he's going to lose hard, which, again, brings me back to the granting of the case in the first place or the granting of the stay. If you are going to take the case, knowing full well that you are going to, to smack him down, why would you grant the stay? Why would you grant the stay unless you're trying to help him? Richard in Brooklyn, who says he's an immigration lawyer, has a question about something the Supreme Court is considering regarding Trump. Richard, you're on WNYC with Ellie Mistal. Hello. 
Um, good morning. I want to ask Ellie's opinion about the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment case. <clears throat> when I first heard about it, uh, I listened to Judge Ludig talking about it. I thought it was you know, creative, but going, but going nowhere. Let me just translate a little bit for the general audience and make sure they all know you're talking about the case from Colorado, uh, if, if I've got your case right, that says right. Trump should be barred from the presidential ballot, at least in that state, uh, because he violated the insurrection clause of the Constitution. That's now being appealed to the Supreme Court, and they heard arguments uh, the other week. Richard, go ahead. Okay, thanks. And then when I started... To listening to historians talk about it on podcasts and read that historian, historian's amicus brief, he said, well, there's really something here. And, you know, it's not a long shot. So my question for Ellie is, why does he think, and when I listened to the oral arguments and heard Justice Kagan, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, they seem to just be worried about the floodgates arguments, you know, the argument, the consequences, you know, Judge Kagan asked, well, you know, your concern is, let's talk about the fact that this is going to go national and Colorado is going to decide for the whole country. My question for Ellie is, why does he think that these liberal justices seemingly paid no attention to what turned out to be really solid, excellent arguments from the, from the historians? Richard, thank you. Thank you, Richard. And thank you so much for your immigration work. We need that so much. So thank you very much for your work, Richard. Um, Brian, you want to call me cynical? Um, the reason why the liberal justices didn't go for it is because the liberal justices were scared because in the and in, in the final days, they lost their nerve. What Kagan was most concerned about. And look, I said, I think probably on your show, Brian, I never thought that the Supreme, Supreme Court would ultimately kick Trump off the ballot. I never thought that the six uh, Republican appointed judges would go for it. The question was simply would we get a couple of stinging dissents from the liberals? And based on our oral arguments, nah, nah, this is going to be 9-0. Um, the liberals are, are not on board either. What Kagan was primarily concerned about, what she was afraid of, was what Texas will do or what you know Alabama will do or what any of these red states will do. Meaning so they'll kick, find an excuse to kick Biden off the ballot or Biden a Democrat? Off. Yeah, that, 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 is, that, is, that, that was her animating fear that even though we can say there was a trial in Colorado, he was ruled an insurrectionist, that's a point and click violation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, even though, as Richard says, it's a real thing and it's a thing that we should take seriously. Kagan could not um, abide, basically, um, a world in which Colorado could kick Trump off the ballot because that means Texas can kick Biden off the ballot. And then at, at, at some point, um, she she said, you know, we would just have different ballots for presidents in every um, different state, depending on basically which party controlled the state legislature. And that might not seem like a huge deal when we're talking about Colorado, where Biden is likely to win or Texas, where Trump is likely, likely to win. You know, that yeah. happens in Pennsylvania. That happens in Michigan. That happens in, you know, Florida. And uh, suddenly you're talking about real money, right? Suddenly you're talking about real ele electoral votes right. up for grabs that um, that are being decided and by state attorney generals as opposed to the voters of the state. That's what Kagan was afraid of. She got really good counter arguments from the lawyers for Colorado, basically saying insurrection is rare, which, you know, it is. 
and saying what I think is the right intellectual point that you can't make law based on what you think bad faith Republicans will do next, right? If we are making laws based on what we think bad faith Republicans will do next, then surely we should have different voting laws based on what we know bad faith Republicans are willing to do in red states, right? There are a whole number of laws that we should that we should reinterpret if we're reinterpreting them around what the worst available Republican will do with them. We generally don't do that. Liberals generally don't do that. But here on this issue, Kagan was doing that. Jackson shared all of Kagan's concerns, but then I, it hurts, but like she went full on textualist, originalist. The president is not an officer. I think that's a terrible argument, but this is kind of, to me, this was like always the double-edged sword with uh, Justice Jackson. Justice Jackson is a textualist. We love her from the liberal side when she's a textualist and she's willing to go to the mattresses to fight Neil Gorsuch, right? If, if Neil Gorsuch wants to bring up the Magna Carta, right, uh, Justice Jackson is waiting for him with the second line of that document, right? Like she will, she will go to town with Gorsuch over their differing textual interpretations. But the downside of being a textualist is that Sometimes you're a textualist. And for her, she thought that this not an officer thing was a compelling argument. I do not think it's compelling. I do not think it's reasonable. But she did. And 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 that's that's the that's where she stuck her flag. Um so yeah, I think it's very likely gonna be 9-0 that Trump is allowed back on the ballot. He was always gonna be allowed back on the ballot in Colorado, at least six three, but I think it's gonna be nine oh. Moving right along, the Alabama Supreme Court this week ruled that an embryo frozen by a couple to be used for in vitro fertilization, a stored frozen embryo, is a child under the law. Opponents of abortion rights are cheering. Nikki Haley reacted by endorsing the idea that embryos are babies. IVF, in vitro fertilization, could become much harder for couples who actually do want babies to use it to make them. Is this legally new ground, Ellie? Yes, yes. It, it, is, it is legally new ground. It's old ground in the sense that this is Christian theocracy brought, you know, reanimated and brought back to life, right? This is, this is exactly the kind of law that we would have seen in the Middle Ages if the people in the Middle Ages understood the science better. This is exactly what they would have done. This is straight up Spanish Inquisition style um, law. So it's not new from that sense. But in this country, in this time, this is this is fetal personhood writ large. Um, and what fetal personhood means is essentially that the the fetus, or in this case, the embryo, or in this case, the frozen embryo has more rights than women straight up in Alabama. They haven't thought this through in terms of what this is going to do to families who can't naturally have children and, and use IVF um, to, to start their families already. We've seen the University of Alabama uh, um, uh, decide that it, they will no longer do IVF procedures because of the legal liability. Brian, we're in a stage right now where if there's a blackout in Atlanta, in, in, sorry, in Alabama, there's a blackout in Alabama. Um, and some of the storage facilities 
lose power for a long enough time. The storage facilities can be charged with mass murder. With mass murder, according to this ruling. Because not if vice, not if they weren't not if they weren't negligent though, right? Uh, uh, who who knows? I, who the, the 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 in the instant case, the feed the, the the embryos were dropped. Was it ne- was it negligence or was it just an accident? They were dropped. It happens to ice cubes, right? It happens to things you take out the fridge. You drop them sometimes, but according to Alabama. This was murder. This is analogized to murder. They 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 were sued under Alabama's wrongful death statute for dropping the frozen embryos, presumably accidentally. So it, right. it's and when I say it's Christian theocracy, Ryan, the judge in the case explicitly said that the court needed to do this to avoid, and I'm quoting, invoking the the wrath of a holy God. Mm. That's in the opinion, Brian. That's in the opinion. If the this country still believed in the First Amendment, it would be a violation of the establishment cause of the First Amendment, but the country doesn't believe in the First Amendment anymore. So the establishment of religion is just A-OK as long as you're a Christian right. establishing religion. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a risable ruling. It's an awful ruling. But again, they haven't thought it through because not only does this essentially... Um, and uh, any opportunity, any reasonable opportunity for IVF in Alabama. Remember, by calling it a child and making an embryo subject to all of the child welfare laws in Alabama, not only, obvi- I mean, obviously that that ends any opportunity for abortion, but think about what this does to women who miscarry. It potentially makes them legally liable if their miscarriages were in some way uh, uh, according to a court, we'll have to wait for what a court says how you're allowed to miscarry or not in Alabama, right? This has significant implications for women's health in terms of pregnancies that go wrong or have complications. It's, uh, I don't know what to tell people other than this is what Republicans have promised to do for the last 40 years. Every single time in the last 40 years that you've voted for a Republican, you've voted for this decision in Alabama because they have promised you for a generation that if you give them power, this is what they'll do with it. Ellie Mistal, Justice Correspondent for The Nation magazine and host of their legal podcast, Contempt of Court. He is also an Alfred Nobler Fellow at the Type Media Center, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Eyes Guide to the Constitution. Thanks as always, Ellie. Thank you so much for your time, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.